Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Tokyo Drift from at NobleF1 on Twitter. We've got a couple of runners up. Nothing better than a moist turkey. Very festive from Christopher Fonseca. And from Bingo on Twitter. It turns out there's a sick type of tyre slinters i'm your host richard spanners ready and i'm joined by matt two rumpets hello matt well hello there spanners how are you doing this fine evening well it will come to no surprise uh, to anyone that i am very happy with the result of today's race now before anyone turns off and worries that i'm going to be insufferable today i've come to a compromise that i'm going to propose to the panel and the viewing public matt Okay, well, I'm all ears, except for the bits of me that aren't. Okay, so I'm going to take that as if you're just completely listening. But as you guys know, I've been humfosi since the beginning of this podcast and beyond, and you guys have long suffered my Hamilton bias and fandom. I hope I've been honest about it. You've also had to handle my Perez fanboy fanaticism as well. So you can imagine on a day where Lewis Hamilton wins from the midfield and Sergio Perez claims a second place especially at a time when he's looking for um for a race seat for next season and lewis hamilton uh, wins his seventh world title equaling michael schumacher as a title i never thought um i would see matched a record i would never see matched in my lifetime so as a compromise matt i have brought along this double pronged corn on the cob fork and if anyone feels like i'm being too ham or too perez fanboy i am going to jab my hand with this double-pronged corn-on-the-cob uh, fork as a kind of compensation so they can feel better. Oh, yes, he did go on about it, but at least he got jabbed with the corn-on-the-cob fork and also as a, uh, a, a tactile reminder to me to not go on about it too much. So the fact that you have made the entire show thus far about nothing but Hamilton and Perez, does that count? Damn it, here we go. Oh, right, okay, that is a significant amount of pain. So if you hear any weird squirming or squelching, some of them will be off camera, uh, but that's what that is. So there's no need to worry. 
We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by fellow Hamfosi, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Hi, Jeansy. How's it going, mate? Good evening. It's going well. Do I need to go and get a sweet uh, corn on the cob fork too? I'm going, to, I'm going to take it for the team. So no need for you to jab yourself with a kitchen utensil. I can't take responsibility for that. Um, however, from a driver analyst point of view, I mean, you are, you're fantastic in a go-kart in the wet. Like um, you just fly past me as if, as if I'm standing still. <laughs> Thank you. Which I often am. But isn't it wonderful this week? I know we can talk about uh, the track surface not being good enough, whose fault it is, all that kind of stuff. But wasn't it wonderful just to see the drivers being punished for, for basic errors, the sort of things that we do wrong when we're driving, like if they held the brakes for too long, if they snatched at the brake, if they turned too much wheel to wheel, they were being punished. Yeah, so in these conditions, you have to keep the wheels, I know it sounds ridiculous, but you have to keep the wheels turning. The second the wheels lock, you know, you, we see it all the time in dry races, the wheels lock, they manage to do a little bit of cadence braking, they can come off and they can still turn and make the apex. Yeah. In the way, you can't do that. The grip goes from, maximum or more or less than maximum to absolutely nothing in an instant and all you do is just skate straight off the circuit so you have to keep those wheels moving we saw it when lewis went to have a move on seb he got a little bit too close was underneath the rear of, Matt, of yeah. seb's car lost a bit of downforce locked the tiniest amount lost loads of time just for the tiniest of snakes which in a dry race you wouldn't even have noticed that I thought one of the most pressing examples of that was when one of the Haases, I think, went off and you had Albon and Max Verstappen. They were on a slight kink in the dry. They could have been braking and turning all the way to the apex. But here, Matt, they had to kind of hold the brakes that little bit too long to avoid the slowing Albon. And he spun around, you know, much as you would in a go-kart or a, in sim racing. Sorry. It was Raikkonen, but yes, you're absolutely correct. A Raikkonen Ferrari. Spun, Albon just about spun and then Verstappen completely did yeah, a 360. Sure. That's the one I meant. It's also got a lot to do with the particular line you're going to be on. By the time they got to that point in the race, there was one line for pretty much every single corner. That's why there actually wasn't a massive amount of overtaking, proper overtaking done today. Because Max came into that corner, Albon's backed off, he's had to back off, probably got a little bit off line, got half a tyre on the wet part of the track and round he goes. A bit like Seb did at Canada when Jensen went past him. Uh, we're also joined by TV man Christian Pedersen from Denmark. Hi, Christian. Good evening. Everyone. Hi. Hi. How's it going there? How are, how are you doing today, Christian? Uh, from a Danish point of view, Formula One wise, it's not been the greatest of days, but uh, things are good. It was a very good race, I think. All seasons, I would imagine. Yeah, is from a Danish point of view, not a great season. <laughs> from a Formula One point of view, great season. What about from a, a TV man point of view? Because I, I was struck by the camera work of the Turkish Grand Prix all weekend. We often complain that the cars look slow on track, but there was just something about the camera work for this Grand Prix where they seem to show fantastic side profiles of the car. They seem to be really tight on the cars as they were going as well. And for the first time in a long time, I had a real sense of speed on camera. 
I think it's to do with two things. I've I've noticed it myself, but I think uh, for for Turkey specifically, I think the track does a lot. All the modulation in the track and the way they position the cameras. But uh, there's one major thing this year that's changed everything, and that is we have no fan shots. We have no yeah. look at the, this family somewhere <laughs> in yes. in the pit. Uh, and that and that does a lot, I think, because the way you tell a story TV-wise is you have to pick something. You have like 25 cameras on track, then you have 20 cars, and you have some pit cameras and stuff. So you have a lot to choose from. And when you pick, pick a camera, you have to tell a story. You can't just pick a car and then pick another car. So every time you make a choice, you have to follow that choice for a while unless something specifically you have to show goes on. So so yeah. I think uh, the story tells they're being told to this year is different from other years because of that fact. I would wish when uh, when they bring back the fans, they would maybe reconsider how they do it and maybe do it a bit more from the fans' point of view. So we follow the fans in the uh, in the seats and watch what they see instead of oh, we watching them. I, I mean, like that. That would be an idea. Yeah, I like that idea. Kind of put you in the in the fan seat. Exactly. And then you can sort of zoom exactly. in on and pan from right to left as you would see it if you were yeah. sat there. Um, but without you anyone... Have, you have, yeah. Sorry, you have to build those atmospheric, uh, atmospheric shots. You have to build up a vibe. You have to tell people having fun. and But you can do it in different ways. It's a bit more hard, I guess, but a challenge. As long as it's not too realistic, because at five foot six, I spend a lot of my time like <laughs> looking for the gap in the head. So as long as the camera's not down at my head height, that should be fine. But I tell you what, Matt, massive positive, as Christian says, massively entertaining season. This kind of race this weekend, it's not even rare. We've had maybe six, seven thrilling race weekends like this. It's, it's really been a fantastic season, as long as you're not angered by Lewis Hamilton. Hang on, I'll get the fuck. By Lewis Hamilton winning seven world championships. <laughs> well, it's been a good season all the way around. I'd have to admit that today's race was particularly entertaining. And really, um, it was worth it just to see him starting somewhere other than first or second or maybe third. Maybe he started third once. I don't remember. But it was Hamilton, such an yeah. upset in qualifying. Yeah. That the race, however it played out, was going to be more interesting as a result. Okay, well, let's start there in qualifying. I think there's been a, a lot of stuff said about the track surface. Uh, look, they it looks like it was you know not done in time. Uh, we we don't want to be too disparaging because we were pleased to get this race today and pleased to have it on the calendar to look forward to. But clearly, you know, let's learn the lesson from this, which is ten days doesn't seem enough for the track to be cured completely unless we're missing something we should ask uh, uh phil shouldn't we we should ask phil who came on and talked about track design we'll we'll, we'll send him a, a message i'm sure in a pandemic free world that timeline was never in no, existence exactly, for yeah. coming back to turkey um but i think you know it, you you get what you get and you don't get upset is kind of the motto this year and i'm gonna say it did make for some very very entertaining practices and qualifying and racing even if the drivers themselves yeah, didn't were like kind of irritated at having to work for their living well, well, this I, time around i think i saw a few people saying oh well look bernie was right let's just put sprinklers on the track i think the difference between uh, this and a gimmick is it wasn't deliberate we've set out with the best of intentions and then something wonderful like this i think has sprung up alex but you know if you were to try and manufacture it which is always the knee-jerk reaction that was good let's try and make that happen all the time so I, this is not gimmicky it was a naturally occurring occurrence uh, event and uh, we should just enjoy it for what it was but that's because the cars aren't designed to operate 
on a surface like that, on a track temperature like that, in conditions like that. If they made every race that, the cars would be designed yes. to work yeah, yeah. like that. So, you know, where Martin Brundle was saying during the race, oh, you know, they need to strip off all the downforce and lose the grip. Okay, they could do that, but they'll work a way around it. Yeah. that then means that it's just the same. So having races like this is great because the one thing they can't actually replicate ever in the world and they won't be able to do for the remaining three races is the temperatures. It was 18 degrees track temperature or lower, I can't remember, yeah. but it was really ridiculously low. And you can't replicate that. F1 cars aren't designed. They're, they're, there's a reason the calendar is designed like it is. It's so that it is in summer months. So we don't get stuff like this where we get races rained off and you know go to particular tracks during monsoon seasons well i tell you what christian why not why don't we just do the race calendar by lots and then we'd get some interesting uh, track weather combinations i mean if it hadn't been raining the the track was most likely going to be kind of rubbed in saturday night and if they even did some more racing for rubbering in the tracks i think it would be have been fine race day if we had fine weather, but I mean, that's just the situation. Yeah, it was Give cool. it to us. <laughs> and I like the fact they opened the track up to like anyone with a performance car. Hey, go on, have a go. No, we're just being super exactly. generous. No, you go, you go. No, nah, it's free. No, nah, no worries. No, please rubber up. Please rubber up. And then, of course, it rained, Matt. So we got what we got um, in this COVID world. I think three kind of key points for me. Um, one is around this, the, uh, the, mar- the race control elements another is why were um why were mercedes so off the pace and then obviously we have to focus on the the racing point guys but should we start should we start with the stewarding because double yellow flags and cranes on track made me feel very very uncomfortable we learned some very very hard lessons six years ago and though that involved both those things well all three things wet double yellows machinery on track yeah, and it, this was, it, it, it struck everybody who was commenting, and it struck everybody who saw it immediately. Um, and it wasn't clear straight away that in the first qualifying session that Magnuson's complaining, which I don't still think, just given the way he complains about things, could ever really qualify him for pony. Because he complains in the same way that people who will break your legs if you don't pay them on time complain. <laughs> but it was remarkable to see him getting that agitated about anything and then it emerged that he was agitated because he came upon double yellows and basically the rules have been changed to say uh double yellows mean abandon the lap and yet people behind him had improved so he knew they hadn't paid attention and then going into the second session and this is where it ties in still having not cleared the car latifi there was a crane on track as the drivers were released and you just got to ask yourself why did they not just delay the session five minutes to finish taking care of that business yeah. and not put anyone at risk, especially in those conditions. And I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. It's such a weird year. Everyone's working against way more friction than normal. Mm. But at the same time, we've seen a large number of fairly serious looking safety lapses this season. So I think um, let, let's have faith that everybody's seen that, been alarmed by it on Saturday and learned lessons. But we thought that at Imola as well, with the cars unlapping themselves with Marshall still on track. So uh, please, uh, dear race directors, please stop giving us heart in mouth uh, moments. Our memories are short. Um, we are fickle, but they're not They're not that short. Um, let's go on to the racing element of it as well then. Uh, why, why weren't Mercedes in the hunt, uh, you know, all session, uh, all leading up to qualifying? Well, I think that could best be explained by 
their race day performance. They have spent since 2013 learning how to be kind to their tires and suddenly found themselves in a situation where in order to extract pace over a single lap, which is really all all that you're left with uh, when you get down to the final dregs of qualifying, they could not work the tires hard enough, mostly because they get heat into the tires by using the brakes. And in wet conditions, you your braking is a lot, I'm assuming, yeah. Alex, a lot more different than it is under dry conditions. Yeah, the the question I've got, though, is, is surely they should have dassed the life out of it. Surely that's the whole point of, of them having DAS, is they're able to work the tires more. Because obviously in what you want in wet conditions is the front to bite. And if the yeah. front doesn't bite, that's when you get your understeer and that's when you end up off the circuit. Um, but surely that's what the DAS system is supposed to be for. Which proves that it was a massive bluff all along. They created a device that goes backwards and forwards in the steer. All he's done, they reach underneath and they've done the little unlock button on the steering column like you've got in your car, moved it backwards and forwards and tricked the teams into spending loads of money trying to replicate it. And that, Christian, is why Red Bull tried their system and went, well, it doesn't work at all. They've been bluffed, mega bluff. 4D chess. Hamilton did complain a lot about his uh, front brakes. Of course, that was when he was uh, behind Fettel. Yeah. Uh, but that should actually give him more heat to his brakes. So if uh, if the brakes on the tires and um, and the heat in them are connected, if you have uh, brake problems, you also have tire problems or the other yeah. way around. Interesting. Uh, so so there could be something there. But I mean, the conditions today were so extraordinary that I'm not sure you can really use much of that information you get from that because. It's just going to throw things in the air that weren't supposed to be there. No, 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 no. Just put random bits together like a madman with a map and <laughs> yeah, string and exactly. pins and everything like that. We can do that here. That's absolutely fine. But that might be related, Matt, of course, to why Racing Point suddenly did so well. Uh, they were running for the whole of Q3 on Inters that were nice and warmed up. And frankly, the Racing Points were just miles ahead of the pack. Like they were, they were seconds ahead at times. Yeah, well, I'm actually glad you brought that up because it is absolutely true that in wet qualifying, you get out there and you just pound laps around. And the more you drive around, the warmer the tires get, the better they perform. And uh, now we did see Stroll, I think, did he come in? I think his I think his tires were two laps, was a lap or two younger than Perez. He came in for some reason. I don't know if he uh, damaged his tires or he started on the wets and immediately came in. But they had a significant advantage to those who who stuck it out too long. And um, interestingly enough, uh, the point is also made by Ocon, who was nowhere until he came in and switched onto the tires that were working for the Renault, which I think were the full wets. Yeah. And he was so late, he only got essentially a single lap, and the tires were not all the way there. So you can see across that range of Q3 how being on the right tire at the start of the session was what really mattered most. Wouldn't you say, Matt, that um, uh, that that territory of uh, the intermediate going to slicks, that territory of tire world, no one had any knowledge about that. So the ones who did that actually tried something they had no knowledge about. So that was probably why they pitted at Stroll and the other guys so early because they weren't willing to take that risk, basically. But we're, we're talking, we're concentrating on qualifying here. For oh, oh sorry, 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 but sorry. No, it's a valid point as we get into the race and played a massive part, obviously. Um, but in qualifying, uh, in qualifying, uh, 
So Stroll didn't have the best of it to start with, seemed to come back up, be reasonably on pace. But it is worth noting that on the lap where Perez was held up by Giovinazzi, he was already a second up. So I think Perez seemed to have an advantage on the entire field with a combination of being out there pounding laps, managing to get his tyres into the right window and being in a racing point that seemed to suit those conditions. Um, He was unable to capitalise on that and then stroll with probably the second biggest advantage in the field, uh, was able to nail that final lap and grab a, what you have to say is a well-deserved pole map. Oh yeah, there's no question. He drove the fastest lap in the conditions and it was and it was on him to do it, to take that away from his teammate. And for Racing Point, it was a moment of pride and glory that they will long remember. Okay, so, so um, I hope the people who uh, really enjoyed the moment when, when, uh, when Lance Stroll Managed to get that pole position, that fantastic pole position. And they all piled on, Jeansy. They went, see, what say you now, Spanners? Well, well, hang on a minute. I think when he was really rubbish and didn't have a place in the sport, you would be vocal and say, get out of my sport. When his results started getting better, we were like, yeah, they're kind of getting kind of better. And whenever he's got a good result, we've said, yeah, that played to his strengths. Like the podium, like in Canada, uh, keeping it on the black stuff when people were piling off everywhere, having patience, having a cool head, got him his results, um, even when he didn't have the ultimate pace. So I think we've been reasonably honest about Lance Stroll. Uh, But nonetheless, for that brief moment where everyone thought that they were vindicated and that Stroll was indeed the fastest person in F1, which he was, to be fair, for that session, uh, we did get a lot of, see, I think we've given a fair play-by-play of Lance across the length of his career. Um, okay, we aren't his biggest fans. Um, so, But he's been really good this year. I, I, there's not been a lot to have a go at him about this year, and he's performed no, yeah. much better. And to get pole in those conditions, no matter how good the car is, is exceptional. So full props, and I even did it on, I even said it on Twitter, full props to to Lance and within the first few laps of the race I was actually wanting Lance Stroll to win so <laughs> hey whoa you know, it, yeah I know bit much that um I know but it, it was especially because <laughs> he was beating Perez and I prefer him to beat Perez you know I know um, everyone wanted me to be sad <laughs> that's why I've got the double pronged uh, corn on the cob poker don't worry so we can level that out but, but you know yes in qualifying he did well he's actually proved that in wet qualifying he's pretty good could do the same thing in Monza a few years ago sure um it's the putting together of a whole weekend for Lance, which I think is where it falls down. Tell you what, let's see if you think this is fair, Christian. We've seen him do well in treacherous conditions, in high attrition races. We've seen him go well when perhaps others have stayed at 100% and played that risk-reward line too close. And maybe Stroll's just got the kind of brain where he's like, no, 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 just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And there's something to be said for that. No matter what he does, he, he always has to fight his public image, sure. his family relation. And uh, and that just makes it harder for him. But I think 2020 has been a year where he's, at some crucial points, been better than Paris. And Paris is a very, very, very fast and very consistent and very tire-friendly driver. I know. So, I mean, and if you can do that and you can do pole position in, in Turkey in those conditions, it's just not a debate anymore uh, from my point of view. All right. Let's move on to the race. <laughs> This is where we go to Matt Trumpets and we ask him, although I think we know what he's going to say, 
Well, this is where we ask him, Matt, where was the race won and lost? Well, since you ask so politely, um, I normally pick three things, but there was an, one overwhelming factor in this entire race. And I know you think you know what it is, but I'm going to say weather. We wound okay. up with the most interesting weather for the race. It was so wet at the start. We were on full wets. Mm. Then we went to enters and we had gradual drying from there, but it was cold and it created this gradient of experienced drivers versus less experienced drivers like we, like Albon and Stroll with their tires versus say Hamilton and Perez, where if you knew what you were doing and you had this skill and or your team had the knowledge and prepped you properly, you could manage those enters over uh, one stop to the end of the race. But if you didn't, you were going to need to stop. And at that point, you were going to be in serious, serious trouble. And with that, we'll look at the start because the start is always crucial, but it took yeah. some major players right out of the picture. It was amazing. I think of one of the most interesting things, Alex, is Verstappen's start because when we, we're always like staring at the screen at the start and you're going, who's moving? Who's moving the best? And that you hold your breath for like two seconds. But for all the world, it looked like Verstappen was fine. And then he just stopped and you went, whoa, what's going on here? He's having a, um, I think, Lewis Hamilton 2016 style type starts this season. He's not been fabulous off the starts. Um, but yeah, it's just like everyone moved because you, you, you do, you watch all their front, you watch the front tyres and all of them moved and then everyone moved except Max. It's like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. I was really excited. I'm like, yes, we're going to get a fight. And then you saw Lewis stream up the stream up one side. You saw um, the Force Indias rocket off, and then the Renaults come alongside. It was bonkers. But um, poor Max, he can't seem to get it off the line. Um, I believe he got stuck in anti stall, probably oh. trying to keep his revs low um, off the line. Do we know what gear he pulled off in? Because if he pulled up in first and was trying to keep the revs low, that makes sense. Um, I know we've seen it before from other drivers. They start in second or sometimes even third and get the revs at least quite high so they can just get off the line and use the torque to move. Um, uh, the chat room is saying that it was second gear. I actually haven't oh. gone back and looked, but I did hear anti-stall mentioned post-race by at least some broadcast medium ah, well i would have started in first gear that's the lowest one but that's probably why i'm not a professional race car driver um, lots of other interesting things from the start as well uh vettel got a good launch and with a bit of attrition as well made up eight places off the start not bad christian eh just just the eight places that was probably the best thing about today's race. I mean, there was a lot of good things, but uh, the way Vettel rebounced in those conditions and his start and just the whole weekend for Vettel, I really I thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, that was worth it. But I was uh, I was a little bit uh, saddened by the Ocon spin. Uh, oh, okay. I could have missed that because he could have done well in this race, I think. All right. Well, that that I think that means we get to play a game, Matt. Whose fault is it? All right, let's set the scene into turn one. Uh, The innocent Lewis Hamilton quietly going about his own business on the way to a seventh world championship. Don't know if I've mentioned that. Um, Going down the inside of the evil Daniel Ricciardo, ruthless at all costs, gaining every place he can. (laughs) Ha ha ha, he said Daniel Ricciardo. I'm leaving Renault anyway. I don't care who I hit. But then... This is where me and Matt are going to fall out. Because Matt, honestly, my first impression was Ocon was coming from behind. I know it's turn one. I know it's turn one and you're not supposed to assign blame and say it's a racing incident. We don't do that around these parts. 
Uh, but if you look at the steering angle from the onboard of Ocon, he was aiming at a point just outside the apex, yet there was two cars on the inside. I'm finding it hard to not blame Esteban Ocon for, for that. And, and actually, I'm going to run out of the shed now before Matt responds. So uh, good luck, guys. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I think that spin was unfortunate. I don't think it was Ocon's fault. I'm not entirely convinced it was Ricardo's fault. I'm pretty sure our friend Lewis, wedged on the inside, was the one who came into contact with Ricardo. Now, I haven't looked at the onboards, so I'm not going to be as definitive about this as I will with the second contact he had that I'm sure we'll talk about momentarily with Botas, which is really the one we should be talking yeah. about because that affected the race <laughs> All right. a lot. But as it is, Hamilton and Ricardo came together. This bounce pinballed Ricardo into Ocon, sent Ocon into a spin, and Botas, directly behind him, also went into a spin. The difference being Ocon wound up facing the direction yeah. he needed to carry on, whereas Botas had to execute a... Um, uh, a, another spin to get pointed the correct direction. But in any event, he was an innocent bystander to the Ricardo Hamilton dust up. Okay, so I'm just going to uh, cut out that bit of Matt saying, and then Bottas had to do a pirouette to get him back off track. I'm just going to copy and paste that and play that at several points throughout the show. Uh, Christian, how did you see that, that one incident? Bearing in mind, we must assign blame. Of course. Um the the first bits you saw from it, you only saw on bolts, but I think there was a top shot uh, later released. And I'm fairly sure, 99.9, that Hamilton just uh, surprised Ricciardo. So he just made a swoop with his wheel and that hit Ocon. I don't think there was any contact actually between uh, Hamilton and Ricciardo. I agree. Van Jean. I also agree. Uh, Lewis, Lewis had a, I don't think it was much of a lunge. He was just there. And I think, but the thing is, he was there, Ricardo was there, Ocon was there, and Bottas was there. So to be fair, it's a big, wide, open turn one. Um, it's like Brazil, but twice the width. So you can mm. get four cars comfortably round that corner, and then they have to kind of filter off as the corner goes round. So Lewis had his lunge to the to the inside, which was legit. Um, Ricardo saw it coming and moved out the way. Again, legit. Unfortunately, when he's moved out the way, that little snap has tapped the rear of Ocon and then sent Ocon off. Um, so you, depends how you want to put it. You could put the blame at Lewis for having a lunge, but yeah. didn't make any contact. And then you can have a, you could have a go at Daniel Ricciardo for, um, for avoiding potential contact with Lewis and hitting his teammate instead. A uh, European Matt says uh, it was just a ricochet. Ooh, I'm going to go grab that one for a game that we play later. I would say that here the critical point is that in no way, shape, or form was it Ocon's fault. And I will also <laughs> point out that he was actually ahead of both Hamilton and Ricardo at the point of contact, which if you think about it and you look at how well he generally does in wet races, was it took a potential player out of the game right there. No, I agree. Matt, do you want to borrow my corn on the cob fork for Ocon type stuff? Uh, Alex? in that, I've got to address this. In that situation, when you have four cars going into a corner doesn't it really actually even matter if it's the beginning of the race at that particular point where contact was made who is ahead makes no difference unless it is because someone has has outbreak themselves and shunted into the rear just that them be they were all very very close the fact that one was slightly ahead makes absolutely no difference so then we're talking about turn nine and botas hitting okon again 
Oh, that, that was Bottas's fault. Hang on, I have to play another. Bomb- yes. Whose fault is okay, it? this this is a chance for Matt to be correct. You were incorrect on the last one, but go on, give it another go. What was happening between Bottas and Ocon um, on his second of seven spins? Well, uh, the way I saw it, and the way I saw it was going back and watching the onboard from Bottas about eight or nine times. Um, upon regaining his direction and possibly being a little bit on tilt. He set off to overtake as many people yeah, as possible. Right. And coming down to turn nine, he spotted a gap between the Ferrari of probably Leclerc, I'm guessing, and the back of Ocon, who was at that point trailing the two Alphataris. And so he used his powerful Mercedes engine to its maximum, blew by the Ferraris. And as he approached the braking zone of turn nine, he was all the way to the inside because everybody else was running the outside line into turn nine. And way beyond, you would think, the braking point, he starts to brake. And you can see his right front tire just lock up. And he slides, 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 slides. He comes off and it starts to roll. And then he locks up again and bang right into the left rear tire of Ocon, giving him a slow puncture and causing him to have an extra pit stop. Plus, bending his own steering and doing a fair amount of damage aerodynamically to his car meaning he was no longer a part of the race. And if you look at Summers's Twitter, he shows a picture which shows yet another bit of another car's arrow in his barge boards. I told you, Alex, he's collecting them. Uh, Christian, then Alex. I think it's a, a natural feeling if you're Bottas. You have the fastest car. You've had the fastest car all year. You know you can yeah. do this with bagmargers. So it's uh, it's actually a brain glitch, I think, from uh, Bottas. Uh, it's, uh, he, he lost it kind of today, oh. uh, and I understand calling, why. Are you calling Ocon a backmarker? Because that's not going to go down well. Well, he was a backmarker at that point because he just spun at the first <laughs> corner. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that in a negative sense in any sure, way. Sure, sure, sure. Van Jean, wrap this, uh, this whose fault is it up for us. Um, that move from Bottas was completely 100% legit if it was dry. But exactly. I'm sorry, you can't make that kind of a lunge in these conditions. It's just never, ever going to work. Um, so, yeah, um, 100% Bottas. Uh, would it still be legit if he was locked up when the contact was made? Because he actually was. No, generally not. No, no. Uh, no, but if it, was, if it was dry, he, wouldn't, he probably wouldn't have been locked up. That's what I'm saying. So I don't think ah, anyone's okay. arguing that one, that that is Bottas's fault. Um, Bottas will feature in the rest of the race review, unfortunately. Uh, but let's continue with won and lost because we had a situation where Lance Stroll who maybe most people would assume something would happen he would uh, you know do what he did at Monza and you know and fire off at the start actually he was there his tires were were switched on compared to the rest of the field even compared to Perez he had a 5 or 6 second lead um and he was doing fantastically really and behind Matt there was scraps Perez seemed to be holding station but Vettel had acted with that brilliant start and some solid and calm driving and defending was acting as a kind of constant bottleneck uh, almost like almost like he was playing rear gunner for his future team <gasps> conspiracy unveiled um but max verstappen very frustrated probably had the pace to go and get that early lead but props straight away for lance stroll for keeping a cool head holding that lead up front and 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 just you know leading a grand prix completely on merit in a calm and cool way yeah well had the race stayed that wet i think stroll could easily have won it because in those conditions racing point had the best setup and were clearly able to switch the tires on in a way that no one else could. But by no one, I specifically mean Mercedes. 
who over the opening laps, I mean, Lewis had yeah. a mistake and an off into turn nine that let some people by. They were really struggling to get enough energy into the tires to get them working properly. Whereas Racing Point was like, I mean, he was 13 seconds up the road was Stroll. And and Perez was five seconds up. There was no catching them until it started to dry up. To give you an idea, six laps into the race, Lewis was a pit stop behind Lance. Six laps into the race. Um, he pulled, Stroll pulled five, six seconds ahead of Perez really easily and then kind of held it there at a pace. It yeah. was phenomenal. And, you, and I, at that point, I actually tweeted saying, I can't believe I'm sat here wanting Stroll to win. Um I, I I I have I have a friend who 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 works for who works at Racing Point who was like, "Can we end the race now, please? Stop the please count. Please don't dry. Rain more. Stop the count." They were shouting, Matt. Uh, but at that point, I do feel like there were some people already playing the long game. So you could say, "Well, Stroll went out and was just faster in that first stint, and maybe he was." But looking at overall, I mean, it is fully possible and I've got my corn thing ready, that Perez was at that point already thinking, okay, this could be a one-stopper, it could be interchangeable, let's start looking after our tyres now. Um, that could seem like a wild conspiracy of a Perez fanboy, had we not seen him do this many, many times before. Well, I think you might be correct if we were talking about after the first round of pit stops. Sure. But on the full sure. wets, not so much. And okay. But when you said that, what you really made me think of was Mercedes because Red Bull was able to switch their wet tires on. Mercedes had to drive a couple of laps before they came on. And what that suggests to me is that Mercedes had set themselves up um, to be kind on their tires yet again, even though they knew it would make their drivers' lives much more difficult in <laughs> the, the opening yeah. phase of the race. May I may I suggest a factor that played an early part in everybody's tactical race? And I think that that is for once, and yes, it hurts to say, for once, it feels like Ferrari were tactically superb in that they they had abandoned all, their, a lot of their their normal uh, their normal tactics, and they were really they were bold, they were forward thinking, and they were in fact on a track where. Everybody was too nervous to make switches because despite the wet weather, they didn't trust the track surface underneath. So even as it was drying, they were thinking, oh, yeah, but we remember Friday. You know, we've got Friday PTSD. But Ferrari were bold and they they led the way in tactics. It's very funny what happens when your number one driver is way far behind and your number two drivers up at the front. And you're correct. It was a Leclerc looking at the Williams <laughs> who started on the inners. Yeah. Saying and, and he said, I'm stuck in 13th or 14th. I can make no progress with this car on these tires. And Ferrari said, well, we got nothing to lose. Why don't you come in? He came in, got to his middle sector. Everyone saw his last times and it all changed. Christian. Uh, wouldn't you normally say that uh, a track situation like this would favor cars that are easily driven? So if you have a car you've, you feel comfortable with, you can... You, you, could probably progress better in conditions like in Turkey. And we've always talked about the Alfa Tauri's been a, a good racing car uh, and the same for the racing point, which I showed here. But Ferrari, have their, their problems have always been the height things, the temperature things. It's been a car that you couldn't really trust. And then you have Ferrari here. Actually, they show the, the opposite of what all the theories are. So 
I think they've done something to the car. Something has changed uh, with the, not just the setup, but what's on the car, what it is. I'm not sure. Uh, to, to Alex, Lydia Cruz in the chat just says, uh, you'd think Ferrari would have realised that they were in the we've got nothing to lose position several races ago. <laughs> well, better late than never. Well done, Lydia. Um, no, with regards to talking about cars easy to drive would be good to drive in these conditions, actually is the opposite. Because an easy car to drive, you haven't got to put a lot of energy in it to get it to do what mm. you want it to do. That's why Merck struggled. That is probably why... Um, I don't actually remember seeing Alfa Tauri's much at all this weekend. Um, exactly. But but like the likes of the Ferrari, the ha- Leclerc has to work that car really, really hard. So therefore you get to generate the tyres. And that's actually might have, what have helped Albon today because Albon was on pace today. Apart from his spin, Albon, Albon could have won the race today without his spin probably um, because he's been struggling with that car. So he's been having to overdrive the car all season. Um, so therefore they were able to generate tires. However, I think the issue that the one issue that the Red Bulls did have was they were generating too much on their front tires and burning out their front tires. Oh, I missed a trick. Thank you. Chat room. Tom Wheatley says, so Ferrari are cheating again. Yes, of course. <laughs> Here's me praising their tactical, their tactical um, acumen today when instead I should have been accusing them of cheating. Sorry, Tom. Thank you for putting me back on the, the straight and narrow. So uh, they've found another fuel flow trick, Matt. But before we get bogged into um, uh, the, the, the Red Bull guys and Albon and his race, let's finish off the strategy element and where the race was won and lost. So Stroll looks reasonably in control. He's got a 10-second lead after the first um, round of pit stops. Perez looks like he's in a bunch of trouble because he's got Red Bulls swarming him. But even with... Max Verstappen all over the back of Perez, they were closing that gap from 10 seconds to I believe it was about four seconds by the time Max had his little uh, adventure. Yeah, it really what happened was the speed of Leclerc on the enters generated the first round of pit stops. And that's where it came from. And once the team saw that, the choice was I'm on the enters, how fast? far can I go? How yeah. far dare I go? And this is what the entire race hinged on because we wound up with Stroll l- l- slower than Perez, Perez and Hamilton directly behind him. And crucially, and this is the last critical thing, DRS re-enabled at lap 32, which meant that my value of track position, which up until then track position, almost no one could pass unless Mm. the person ahead made a mistake. But once I have DRS, I'm living in a different world, and now suddenly fresh tires and more pace plus DRS means I can get around because now I'm on tires that will be better in the wet that is offline, which is what I'm going to need to use with my DRS. And this tipping point is why they wound up arguing to pit stroll so Strongly, I believe Racing Point did, is they felt like on fresh tires, he would have more pace and with DRS, he would be able to catch up. Otherwise, they were pitting Perez in an undercut, in what would look like an undercut, or look like simply getting him out of the way if it didn't pay off. And there was still Hamilton a second and a half faster right behind him. The lead was gone at that point for Stroll no matter what. Yes, there there was a lot of people swarming up behind Stroll. But let's ignore Hamilton uh, for a second because for a long time it did look like there was going to be a battle between the two racing points and then the two Red Bulls approaching them behind and I think there was um, two very different approaches Uh, we know Perez was closing the gap on Stroll 
I was really looking forward to seeing uh, Perez close that gap and have actually have a go, have a a completely even. They've got the same uh, age tires, one on one, having a fight and seeing how that went down. I do feel like the decision to to pit Lance or whether or not to pit Lance was hastened by that gap closing from a team point of view. It certainly solved an awkward political situation. But the way Perez defended against the two Red Bulls, uh, Alex, was was quite interesting because Perez, he definitely had a power advantage over the Red Bull. But Perez is also not a, apart from you know maybe one move on Gasly, last time out he's not a very very aggressive defender he will play the odds and say okay this this is done this is not my win but he just kept putting it in the right place and just frustrating max he he did what you do what you always do when you've got a faster car behind you on a track that's difficult to pass you stick to your line and especially on a track like today where there was only one line he stuck to his line and also he knows max well enough Max, when he's on a charge, will do nothing but think about going through you. And as he's what he tried to do, and he spun it. And I called it from the beginning of the race, saying that it is going to be win or bin for Max today. And literally saw him go around. Uh, he was so lucky not to end up in that wall. But um, yeah, yeah, Perez did a sterling job to just hold his line and say, come on, come at me. This wasn't a great uh, Verstappen version, was it, Christian, what we saw uh, this weekend? We saw him really, really beating himself up after qualifying. You know, you still finish second. You've got Lance Stroll in front of you. You you have to back yourself to beat Lance Stroll. So why are you so disappointed over second place? And then something didn't seem right in the cockpit today as well. You know, that impatience... Is it was it impatience first of all, and and it's sort of out of character of twenty twenty Max Verstappen, but not so much of you know previous Max Verstappen. I think we saw exactly why he's probably one of the greatest of all, and I think we also saw why he's not one of the greatest of all yet. So uh, <laughs> I think some of, some of his uh, his uh, lap times in in qualifying just perfect. I mean, he was at 1.6 or 7 seconds faster than anyone else. And uh, the way he just charges through the field is uh, amazing to watch. But you can also uh, see his immature uh, approach to racing and uh, that kind of vibe of, here I come, you better move. And I'm not sure you'll be a champion by thinking like that anymore. Maybe more in the old days. So that was uh, Christian Pedersen at gmail.com. Hello to all our Dutch (laughs) listeners. I thought Max was fantastic and desperately unlucky. Uh, But don't, don't, don't misunderstand me because Mm. I have, uh, I I mean, Max Verstappen is the future. He's, he's brilliant. He's, Mm. he's like a one of a kind racer and I will enjoy watching his uh, future, but he's not there yet. I think that's fair. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What interested me about this is that we saw Verstappen behind Perez and Verstappen spin. Then we saw Albin behind Perez, and we saw Albin spin. So one, it's interesting to see how Verstappen's spin is treated relative to Albin's spin, deservedly or not. But more importantly, in hearing some of the talk post-race, it seemed like Red Bull, in setting up the car to get the tires to work properly, may have had uh, some kind of a balance issue where the rear could get out farther than Max could catch before he was aware of it. He complained about this on the radio. He said, the rear is gone and I can't catch it. That's not a normal Verstappen thing. So I I would point a bit deeper at sort of how they set up the car to work and suggest that it gave them a driving problem in certain situations that the drivers could not solve. Okay, okay, Alex, but it might be fair to say, okay, well, that's the car that you've got, you know, go a bit, go slower, turn less. Drive around the issues. Lewis had a car that he couldn't get the tires to work. What happened to Lewis today? But no, I think the thing with Max, I think the reason you say that today wasn't a traditional 2020 Max Verstappen performance was because from before the lights went out, he knew he had an opportunity to win. And then he got a bad start and dropped back, but was still like, okay, I can still win this. And went into, I don't want to say panic mode, but I haven't got a better word for it. And all he wanted to do was just make sure he's at the front, at the front. He has no future foresight. He is one of the fastest drivers that's ever been in Formula One. There is no doubting that at all. Unfortunately, he can only see what's in front of him. He can't sit back and see the big picture. That'll come with experience. Jeez. Thanks a lot, um, guys. This is why I don't. This is why I don't check the. Um, <laughs> this is why know, I don't. Experience. This is why I don't check the Dutch iTunes reviews. So you can't get to me. You can't get to me. No, no, no. I think. Uh, look, if you listen to Jules, um, who came on, who's uh, uh, from the Netherlands. A lot of Dutch F1 fans have that that same view of Max, and you know they're wishing him the best for the future. But you know, why would he be the complete package? He's he's um, oh, people get upset at this, but he's still reasonably young. But that's because we are getting ever younger and younger with our F1 drivers, and that's not a trend that I particularly like. What I thought was interesting, Matt, as well, was the Albon uh, challenge to um, to 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 Perez two. And both of them seem to go on the attack. I'll tell you what, well, I will ask Christian this. From a tactical point of view, I wondered if both of those Red Bull drivers might have been better off, especially at that stage of the race, just letting Perez catch Stroll and, and then, you know, gobbling up the, the pieces from, from whatever resulted. I'm not sure that would uh, have been the scenario. I think, uh, I think actually Stroll and Perez, if they had come closer, it, 
if it had been a fight, it would have been a real fight. I'm not sure any of those two guys would have uh, given up a place. So I'm not sure about Red Bull, um, but uh, I feel very sorry for Albon because he really he really showed some good talents today, I think. Yeah, and, and perhaps asked to go a bit longer on his tyres than that Red Bull was, yeah. was willing to give him. But Matt, if we can just go towards the kind of the end of one and and lost here. Um, obviously, Stroll ended up having graining issues straight out of um, straight out of uh, the pits with his new tyres, which essentially removed him from that lead battle. Very disappointing for him. Um, in different circumstances, he might have been able to to hang on better. But I think it's fair to say, at the end of the day, this race was won and lost by the fact that there are two drivers on the grid with a very special ability to be tyre whisperers. Three, perhaps. Who's the third then? Uh, Perez, Hamilton? You've not read my 50-40 club. No, I haven't. Allow me to introduce you to its members. Hamilton, Perez, Kvyat, and Ocon. Those are the only drivers to do 40-plus laps on their enters. How and have you squeezed four, Ocon into that? Yeah. Only three of them made the kind of place games, mm. place games that you're talking about with uh, Ocon finishing back off his much better placed after lap one partner, Ricardo. Yeah. Perez in second and Hamilton in first. Okay. So in this scenario, seeing as uh, Ocon caused a crash on lap one and took himself out of contention for this Not race. Fault. <laughs> contention for this race. Uh, we were left with, uh, you know, with Hamilton and Perez up front. So Stroll, genuinely unlucky here because the race where he was able to get it on pole, the race where he was able to bolt out on the lead in wet, in a race that suits him, you know, it's carnage where risk reward uh, kind of goes more towards away from risk, which seems to suit his style. In this particular race, the ability to preserve tyres forever and, and have that racecraft, because I do believe that Perez was doing it from early on, was the deciding factor. And once that became the deciding factor, Stroll doesn't stand a chance against Perez and hardly anyone would stand a chance against Hamilton in these situations i would say i was going to disagree with you until you got to the whole experience and tire management thing in which case i would argue that it is definitely experience and possibly skill but we won't know until stroll has the experience and you could say the same for albin and i was actually a little irritated with red bull because you could see uh later in the race when verstappen was behind him verstappen veering offline to preserve his enters and to keep the temperatures where they needed to be i'm not sure I hope they were, but I'm not sure that Red Bull was necessarily giving Albon the management he needed. This is only his, se- what, second full year in Formula One? I mean, I mean, you know, experience is highly undervalued right now in Formula One. You mentioned it earlier. I'm going to say it again. And the ability to yeah. deal with these tires in these conditions, which doesn't come up often, really matters when it, when it, when it is at issue. Well, I tried arguing with Joe about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think that the next season we're going to have one of the weakest Formula One grids for some time because there is this urge to keep getting the new exciting driver. Uh, but, you know, that you, you think more teams should be hanging on to the likes of Perez, Hulkenberg, um, yeah, maybe Alonso's. Magnussen. <laughs> Magnussen. Oh, my gosh. I forgot we're losing Magnussen next. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, K-Ped. Sorry to to bring that up on the show. We didn't need to do that. <laughs> um, but we're losing... I think so, it will be fine. We're losing so much experience off the grid next season, and including Grosjean as well. Like him or, or loathe him, um, he, is a, he, he is a very experienced driver, and we're bringing in a lot of rookies and keeping a lot of the younger guys. That is an argument for another day. But Alex, I mean, today, 
experience really did uh, did trump uh, youth. Oh yeah, in a race like this, it's about learning, because again, when you talk about the conditions on the track, the track changes every single lap. No two laps are the same. You can't wait use a minute. The Hang same... on. What about lap eleven and lap forty three? Yeah, they were different because all right, um, you you can't use the same references lap in lap out because the track is constantly evolving in a completely different way to the way it does when it's in the dry. And all of a sudden bits that were wet aren't wet. If someone's gone off the track, brought some water back on the track. So things are changing all the time. And I think that's what suited Lewis and Perez so well. Spanners, prick yourself. Um, you said because... it. I didn't even say it. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yeah, but you, you oh. said you're taking mine. Okay. So um, they were just using those different bits of the racetrack, every single lap, learning from each lap. Unlike Max, sorry, Dutch fans. Um, I am a Dutch fan, but anyway, um, unlike Max, who was just gung-ho every single lap and just trying to blat it. And it, that's not what was needed today. But when you talk about experience and losing experience from the grid, I'm not bothered about losing Grosjean's experience. I'm not bothered about losing K-Mag's experience because <gasps> they don't do much. K-Ped, fight back. I'm not going to comment on that for now. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll add, that. Uh, I'll, I'll add to that later as well. But I'll just uh, add one thing first about uh, corner one and the last corner on the track. I think those two tr- uh, corners were played a major role in how tire life came out because those were wet all through the race, where yes. most of the uh, other part of the track had a dry line. And if those two corners would have been dry as well, I think it would have been a completely different scenario uh, with one dry line all the way through. But um, yeah, kept it exciting. Trumpets. Well, I was just going to say, um, in my in my argument, my pro argument for Magnussen, he's podiumed as a rookie with McLaren, mm. even after they had already decided to get rid of him, which is impressive. He, when Haas was first on the grid, regularly could finish fourth and fifth, as long as they managed to attach the wheels properly. Which they didn't today. And even today. in today's race, <laughs> he started 19th, was running and 10th for more than half the race and would have been there at the end had once again the team managed to properly attach the wheel during his pit stop. You keep hearing uh, Kevin talk about he wished he had to had been a racing driver in the 50s or the 60s or something like that. Yeah. And you can just tell Kevin's Kevin's heart is for racing. It's not for Formula 1 anymore. And the way he talked about that thing in qualifying, how pissed he was and I'm not sure if I can say that word here. Well, but, you did. You know, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but he, you can just feel it. He needs something else. And I think actually Kevin will feel so much happier driving an Indy car or some GG cars with his dad or something like that. I think it will bring him much more joy than where he is right now. He's not appreciated. And, and you know what? I, I'm so, I, I've been so enjoyed seeing Kevin Magnussen in Formula One. I would be tempted to go and watch Kevin Magnussen in sports cars. And actually, I would be going to go be tempted to go and watch Roman Grosjean in IndyCar as well. That might be the boost I needed to finally make me get involved in a race. Van Jean. You won't be watching Roman Grosjean in anything like that. You'll be watching him in a cookery show. Or, as somebody said in the chat, take over Massey's job. <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> he did say he might go to IndyCar if he could. He said he, he thinks he can park the fear. And to be fair, IndyCar does look absolutely terrifying compared to Formula One. I, actually, guys, I, I was in a bit of a hurry because I thought, you know, oh, we need to get onto all the how good Ferrari were. Uh, we need to talk about Red Bull. But actually, we've covered quite a lot of that. I think just to dot a few I's and, and cross a few T's, um, I mean, Ferrari came to life 
And they, as it as it dried, really, the more it dried, Matt, the more Ferrari kind of came into it. In fact, Alex, controversial opinion: Ferrari were the best team today. Okay, expand. Well, the most points. Oh, hang on. Well, okay, that's okay. Well, look, they were impressive today. But what makes you say they were the best team today? Two drivers actually next to each other. Well, I say next to each other. Yeah, actually, were next to each other, third and fourth, weren't they? So, um, two drivers next to each other, right at the top part of the points. I think Ferrari probably scored the most amount of points today as well. Um, and they didn't really do anything wrong. Both drivers yeah. drove faultlessly today. And, and, and although there was a, a bad pit stop for for Vettel, like I said earlier, I think the tactics were spot on. They were bold, and they they went for it. Here's why they were the best team. They were good early with the full wet tires, Vettel, at the start. Yeah. And they were good on the enters. And of all the teams that made a second stop for the enters, only Ferrari and McLaren actually was able to do anything with them after that second stop. So Ferrari, of all the teams, showed the greatest mastery across the differing conditions um, of the full race. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to give them their props. If they were to race like that week in, week out, uh, Christian... I think people would be a lot less harsh on them. I would just add that uh, both drivers gained eight positions, which nice. is qu- quite good. And it is the highest uh, ranking team points-wise. Oh, Christian, so, what, do you think about, right. what do you think about Leclerc at the end? Obviously, he, he managed to get past Perez because Perez made a mistake. And then, uh, and then they were pushing each other very hard into the next turn, which I think was turn 11. And, and Leclerc, a very, very simple mistake when... Both drivers are, you know, in the wet still, pushing towards the end of the race on cold, on old tyres, and they know that whoever wins the battle of the brakes is going to come out on top. Leclerc locks one up, goes a bit wide, loses two places. Really hard on himself, but he he was pushing to the limit. That's what racers do. I mean, if he didn't do it, if he didn't try to do that, that last corner, I mean, he, he wouldn't have gone for it 100%. So... I think he did the right thing. It was a shame it didn't work out, but I mean, it's what's. Uh, did you hear what uh, Sebastian Vettel said about him uh, no. earlier, the latest today? He, he said he was better than Max, and uh, uh, oh. <laughs> which is quite controversial in itself, and that he was a champion in the making, and uh, he would forget that podium very soon. And I think that's very wise words. So I'm going to stick to those. Actually, there you go, Alex. Um, I mean, yeah. In my mind, Leclerc, again, a little bit like Max, different temperament, different approach, obviously uh, a, a future star, not quite the complete package yet. The move that um, Leclerc went to make on Perez, it's the last lap of the race. It's the last couple of corners of the race to grab second on the podium rather than third. You had to go for it. Any, had to. Any yeah. driver would have gone for it. To be fair, it's a carbon copy of what happened when Lewis tried to overtake Seb earlier and then Lewis got done by Albon so uh, which I had no idea Albon was there that caught, caught me by surprise um but yeah I, I have no more superlatives for the boys at Ferrari today I think they did a good job apart from whoever was on the right rear of Seb's car in the pit stop oh it was only like two seconds but there you go Matt I think we've praised Ferrari so no one can call us Ferrari haters for wow until April there we go until the show comes out yeah okay fair enough <laughs> Okay, good. Well, uh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there, boys. We're getting there. Um, I wanted to talk slightly about the battle between Hamilton and Bottas. No, no, honestly, honestly, I did. Because we always put it in the show notes for this season, certainly, and the last few seasons, we've done the, the battle for the title, which invariably has been Hamilton nominally versus Bottas. But 
a big shout out to AWS, who are clearly in a big sponsorship deal with Formula One. And they clearly had a lot of uh, title mathematics. You see that, Jeans? You know, when they go, oh, if Bottas finishes 10th, Hamilton only has to finish 14th with two wheels. And even after Bottas had spun, when the title was clearly over, then he hit Ocon and the title was really over. They were still throwing up those com- connotations because they clearly still had a contract with AWS to do so. Oh, uh, yeah. It first popped up at 90 points and then 100 points and then 110 points. I'm like, leave him. He's already dead. Stop kicking. Leave him alone. <laughs> Put yeah, him yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. AWS didn't need to keep digging the knife in. but No, but I oh, think well. they, they had a bunch of graphics all set up to use. And they had to to use them. No one was realistically tracking the battle between Bottas and Hamilton for the title. They were just waiting for it to end. And in fact, Bottas ended up getting lapped today. That's not even really a surprise. That's not even anything against Bottas, to be to be fair, Jeansy. He's he did that a lot to Button. He he certainly did it to Kovalainen. He did it to Rosberg at Monaco. He did it to Rosberg at Silverstone. This is what Lewis Hamilton does to people in these kind of conditions. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, um, but the thing that made me laugh the most was when Lewis was getting close, um, he radioed in saying they need to start showing Bottas blue flags. And then when he did lap Bottas, it was the exit of turn one. Bottas was just so slow on the exit. Lewis throws a hand up in the air. What are you doing? And it just drives around him. I don't think Bottas was doing anything malicious at all. uh, No, he just couldn't go anywhere. I'm fairly sure he was afraid of Bottas getting a penalty because he had so many warnings about the blue flags Aww. and he kind of ignored them. And I'm not sure if that is Hamilton being friendly or Hamilton just throwing chemical weapons in there. <laughs> Maybe a mix. Oh my God, imagine that trumpets. Guys, I'm just super concerned for Valtteri, man, because he's, you know, he's not used to the blue flags. It's psychological warfare dressed up as classy concern. Classic. Fantastic. Uh, brilliant. We've got a new segment today before we go into the podium. And I think the last segment that we can go into, we haven't got a theme tune for it yet, uh, but we can we can muster one up. But it's woulda, coulda, shoulda, uh, Matt. And this is a new little uh, segment you've put together today. So with the, the benefit of hindsight and a million different scenarios, who woulda, coulda, shoulda done better? Well, um, Stroll, interestingly enough. Yep. Even though at the time, and you know that I love nothing more than to feast on the tears of F1 strategists, I can't really knock Racing Point for the choice that they made at the time. Maybe you could say, well, they could have looked at Ricardo's lap times and realized that it was a challenge to get the enters working under those conditions, how, given how much drier the track was and how cold it was. But for the most part, it was the best choice under the circumstances. But had they left him out, he was in the lead. Hamilton would have had to have passed him. Perez would have had to have passed him. He certainly, I think, would have finished well ahead of ninth, which is where he actually wound up. The the thing that I think actually put the nail in the coffin for Stroll today wasn't actually the pit stop. The pit stop obviously slowed him down. was the fact that he got on those tires, couldn't fire them up, and his head just dropped. Yeah. And I think part of him dropping off as much as he did was as much his head as it was his tires. Um, but if you want to have woulda, coulda, shouldas, 
Can I have my own woulda, coulda, shoulda? Just to, just before, yes, of course you can. But just to wrap okay. that up, Matt, <laughs> um, that is completely understandable. He's qualified on pole. As far as he's concerned, he's leading all the way up uh, to the end of one stint, all the way up to the end of a, another stint. And then he's got nothing. Then he's in fifth, sixth fighting midfield teams. I, I genuinely felt for him there, but I don't think it was pure bad luck. I think if they'd have left him out, Perez has passed him, Hamilton's passed him. Yeah. Fourth, fifth, but that's a uh, far sight better than ninth. It is. And the issue, I, I think it's not so much unable to fire up the tires. And I know we're skipping my whole tire segment, so I feel titled to take 30 seconds here and point out that after those tires went on, he had to push like mad because Verstappen was directly on him. And we all know that pushing on cold tires leads to graining. Graining leads to no grip. No grip leads to no confidence. You back off. The tires stay cold. You cannot solve the problem that way. And that's where the experience comes in. And didn't we see that same kind of exact issue with Rosberg in Monaco, I think in 2015? Uh, I was sort of guessing a little bit there. Uh, but yeah, where he just... No, it was the one where Rosberg ended up getting lapsed. But yeah, the the less he had confidence in that the full wets... The less he pushed, the colder it got, the less temperature he, he got into those. Let's get um, Van Jean's contribution to Woulda, Shoulda, Coulda. Uh, someone asked me to sing a tune. Woulda, Shoulda, Coulda. Nah, not bad. Yeah, I'm sticking with that. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Terrible. <laughs> um, my Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda is Red Bull. They could have had a one-two today pretty easily, to be honest. Albon could have won at one point. Max could have yeah. won at one point. And I think... If you talk to anyone in that Red Bull team today, they will all feel like they threw away a win and ended up with a, what, a fifth and a sixth? Challenge. I challenge you. Okay, so uh, Max doesn't spin, and he doesn't spin at all during the race. He gets past both racing points. Hamilton, at that point, was lost. Take into account Hamilton's charge in the second half of the race. You're telling me he doesn't catch Verstappen? You don't know. I, I think Max was very, very rapid, Throughout mm, every single yeah. phase of that race today, I don't think anyone actually had the outright pace of Max. And then obviously the tyres changed. He had his spin. I think I think his spin hit his confidence as well because then he was moaning about anything that was potentially going wrong with the car. Um, I, I do believe Red Bull threw away a potential one-two today. Um, Lewis would have been in and around it. And see, to me, that's the trap of the second set of enters in the changing track conditions. The same thing that caught out Stroll. But had he not spun, had he stayed on those tires, then I think the only real question, I think Perez was done at that point. I don't know about Hamilton. Perez was done at that point. Hamilton did run 50 laps on a used set of inners. He may have been vulnerable at the end to someone who had some pace left in him. But the question is, could a Red Bull get the tires to last as long as the Mercedes did? That's what it would have come down to. We've seen Verstappen make tires last a long time. It would have been amazing. Quick one from Van Jean, then to Christian. What we could have actually seen is a reverse of what we've seen from Mercedes all year, which is two Red Bulls versus a Mercedes and forcing Lewis to pit. Excellent, excellent. I want to add to the, sorry, I want no, to add no, to no, the Red Bull, uh, uh, Red Bull thing that um, this could have been, I actually put this in my notes before I saw the, the, the program notes, I put Albon, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Actually, just could have, no. should have, because he today was a day where he could have shown he was able to drive the Red Bull car. Because I imagine the, the way the car had to be driven was kind of similar for both. 
you weren't exploring those inner small things that he's had problems with all year. So he could have done it today and he should have done it today. That uh, that was a big mistake from him, that spin, I think. Yes, uh, I tend to I tend to agree. I, I didn't want to stick the knife in uh, for Albon's bad day, but you know when he looked like he had a win on, we were thinking, oh, this is going to shut a few people up. Exactly. And as a Perez fan, I'm thinking, well, there's Perez's Red Bull seat gone. Um, and exactly. you can you can argue, and I think you can argue fairly that he was asked to go longer on on tires that were bald. You can argue that the Red Bull is a tire eater. But also you can argue that with Albon, there has been a string of things you can argue on the back of bad result after bad result after bad result. Red Bull Red Bull are still publicly claiming that it is his seat to lose, Matt. Less, I'm, I'm less and less convinced by that. What I really love is he did just well enough today to not give them an excuse to pull the trigger. <laughs> that might, you know what, that might I mean, be I mean, He basically... He basically copied Verstappen. He had the qualifying. He did really well in the race. When Verstappen had the spin, he walked right up to Perez. He told them his fronts were going off. And then, surprise, he eventually wound up spinning. They put him back out. Verstappen couldn't even get around him for a long time. I yeah. was surprised. I thought they'd move him out of the way. But I, I think they probably said to him, well, I don't know. Let's see how long you can hold Max up for as part of our decision about you as a driver. I don't know what's going on there, but it is fun. Uh, it's optics is everything. When was Lance, uh, sorry, when was Perez announced to be leaving, uh, I was going to say Force India, Racing Point, just after Lance Stroll had got a podium at Monza, if my memory is serving me correctly. So they could correctly point to, well, you know, Lance is, he's a complete driver. We're bringing in a four-time world champion. This is a, a no-brainer. If they'd have announced that now, it would have been bad optics because as uh, racefans.net uh, pointed out, in the last six races, Perez has scored something like mid-40s points and the rest of the racing point drivers, including Hulkenberg, have scored a grand total of eight points or something like that. If they were have to have announced that now, Alex, it would be terrible, terrible optics. It would look like uh, heinous nepotism. Earlier in the season, it didn't look so bad. Yeah, because Perez has definitely had a season of two halves. Mm, yeah, uh, he wasn't he wasn't any better than Stroll in the first part of this season, mm. and all of a sudden he's picked since he came back from COVID. To be honest, he's picked up and and run with it and been the driver we expected from yeah. race one. Um, whether it took him a little bit of time to get used to that car and Lance just picked the car up properly, um, we don't know. But it's I think that's why yeah. It, it, it would have been bad optics if it was now. So I agree with you, Matt. They're waiting for, I feel like they're waiting for, uh, you know, that that bad result to say, okay, w- w- Perez is going into the second seat. Michael Holgate, I think, is suggesting the very last coulda, uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda that we're going to do, which is could McLaren have had a podium if not for the grid penalties? What do you think? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, good. I, I think they could have. All right. Good. Well, that's not the analysis we're accustomed to, but I think that is as good a point as any. <laughs> Wait, is that an invitation? Well, well, yeah, it's the segment. Say things, and then we're going to go to the last bit. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you had the penalty for signs, for blocking. You had the penalty for oh yeah, boo. Um, Norris as well. And uh, aside from Ferrari, interestingly, uh, McLaren was the only other team to get the tires to work after their uh, second stop for enters. And we see Sainz finishing fifth. I mean, he passed Ricardo on his first set, and that that kicked off 
the whole second set of enters pit stops. And an interesting side note, what if what if Renault had just left Ricardo out? Might have been a different story. Um, but regardless, I think had he started further up the grid, he gained 10 positions and he finished fifth. If he started three up, well, then that's second, isn't it? You say if it wasn't for the grid penalties that the, Mer- the McLarens would have been there, but weren't they still both ahead of the Ferraris? Maybe Seb was further up, but Leclerc was quite far down, wasn't he, on on the grid? In Sight qualifying? Up. In qualifying, yeah. Where was Leclerc in qualifying? Oh, well, now you're asking 12. me that question. He was 12. 12. Oh, there we 12. Go. He was 12. So, yeah, he was... So, and Seb was... Same? I think Seb was 11. Seb, yeah. Seb was 11. They both gained 8%. Seb was 11. So they were yeah. both behind the McLarens. Wow. McLaren's no, they were ahead of the McLarens. The other race. Okay, good. No, right. no, McLaren's, McLaren started 14 and 15, uh, yes. Norris signs respectively. Because oh. of the oh, okay. I, 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 okay. But to be fair, there's not much in there. Incorrect challenge, Van Jean. At Alex oh. Van Jean on Twitter and your YouTube is uh, Alex Van Jean. It's, it's, as long as you search V-A-N-G-E-E-N, <laughs> you'll find him because it's frankly, it's a made up name. It was Van Jean, <laughs> which was a Dutch name. So he's essentially, he's a Dutch person with an anglicized name. Search Van Jean. You'll find all his stuff. He does YouTube. He shoots gun stuff. He's not very good at it, but he is good at producing <laughs> the content. Um, Christian, you're going to make a point. Christian. I would just add to the McLaren uh, theme that uh, the way their car looked dirty, the way Lando's helmet looked <laughs> yeah, dirty, that was good, just, man. I mean, mm, I love that. It's good. Let's move on to the podium. Well, firstly, thank you very much for tuning in to Missed Apex Podcast. We understand that there's a thousand podcasts to choose from. We appreciate you spending your time here. We try to get a race review out before your Monday morning commute. And if you've got this far in the show, uh, you might enjoy us enough to consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. All the links are always in the show notes. So if you're on YouTube, it's down below. And if you are on uh, an app on your phone listening to the podcast, like just swipe it around until you see a link and then jab at that link. If we reach, I'm setting a target, 800 patrons at any tier, I'll tell you the tiers, $1.99, $1.99, just 33 cents a show uh, on average. We do six shows a month. Um, gives you an ad-free feed. Um, um, $5 a month means you can join our Slack community and get our patron-only podcasts, which are not premium content. They are objectively worse content, but maybe a bit more relaxed. But if we get to 800 patrons, then we will send a, an episode out to every single patron at all the tiers um, of an in-depth, uh, in short in-depth interview with each of our panelists so that you can get to know us a little bit better. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, but I thought, why not set it as a patron challenge? So if you want to help us reach that goal, uh, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We are a patron supported podcast. The more support we get the more we can do. So we're on the podium uh, of this Missed Apex show. Uh, We have Sebastian Vettel in third place, uh, getting close enough to that battling pair above to capitalise on Leclerc's mistake. Sebastian Vettel has increasingly impressed me throughout the course of the season. He has become vocal, I think, as well, in a lovely way. He's using his platform to promote lovely things like being nice to each other, and I know some people are going to email us and give us bad reviews. Ah, oh, why are you talking about politics? Well, do you know what? It's pretty simple. His helmet had a message. Just be nice. Include everyone. Just play with the other kids. 
That's all. That's the only message that he's given out. It's nothing. It's nothing. You know, don't need to tell him to shut up and drive. But he's become an ambassador for the sport more and more, more than just a racing driver. It was pure class how he leaned into Lewis Hamilton's cockpit and congratulated him. He knows, uh, Sebastian Vettel, that he had the chance to make that place in history. He recognises that somebody else did that and that they're both great champions. Lewis Hamilton, I think, has made this era his own. And that was a wonderful moment to see. Sergio Perez, of course, uh, I'm delighted that he went and took that second place and showed what he could do. I don't think there's many other drivers who could have done that in that car today. But the day belongs to Lewis Hamilton, who has set... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flick the video over to me and Jeansy because he has set uh, or equaled the only record I cared about. I didn't care about 92 wins. I didn't even know it was coming. But since 1995, <laughs> I've been looking at, at this world title uh, record. Michael Schumacher, of course, an absolute Goliath in our sport. But to me... He was the big bad. And he, he played that role fantastically. I love him as the big bad. But ever since you know taking out Damon Hill and uh, striking to the core of my sense of fair play, he has been my, my pantomime villain. And watching him get seven world championships, I'll admit it, it was butthurt. It was pure, pure butthurt. And when Hamilton started picking up these titles, the, this is the one. This is the one I've been looking at. I was fairly reserved on the 91 wins or whatever, but seven world titles, that meant the world to me as a Hamilton fan. Yeah, I've got to say the same. It was I was jumping up and down and screaming and shouting, if I'm brutally honest. It was it was phenomenal, and especially because he he gets so much hate. And today, he had no right winning that race today. Nope. He had a car that wouldn't work. He did hardly any laps in practice, couldn't get it fired up in qualifying, was miles off. Within ten, within six laps, he was more than a pit stop behind the leaders of the race. And he just learned and adapted and moved forward and 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 just increased the pace and increased the pace and increased the pace. And then tells the team, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping. Yep. I know there's a couple of laps left. I've got the time. I'm not doing it. If I do it, I'm going to lose out. And he thought about China in 2007 <laughs> and he just kept on going and he knew if he got to turn eight, like they said, and the rain turned up, he'd be in trouble, but he could see the clouds and there was no rain coming. And it was, and then the well of emotion afterwards and the tribute on the visor as he went oh, past and so him good. blurting in tears. It was just, it's just been the perfect day to be a Hamilton fan. I'll just go to Christian before we go to trumpets. Apologies, like this is a very British centric celebration. Uh, but I'm even, I'm sure, even from all the way in the wilds of of the north of Scandinavia, uh, you can see what this means to, to us and to Hamilton fans. Of course, and uh, I've been a Hamilton fan since I saw him. For I think I I started watching him in F three thousand. Uh, and just follow him up. And he had like the same spirit as uh, I thought Juan Pablo Montoya had in Formula One. He he came in as this underdog up against the big guys and he just kept winning and winning. But what, what, what I would add is today in the race, like mid-race, you had him five, six position, a uh, whole pit stop behind the leader. And you're still sitting with this feeling of he could still do it. He, I mean, he could, and he does it. And I think that uh, embodies 
the brilliance of Lewis Hamilton because not anyone else could do that. So it's fun to sit here and reflect that when I came back to this sport, it was in 2008. And in fact, it was the race where he won his first championship that caused me to start watching every race again after giving up at the end of the, not even giving up, just life circumstances getting in the way. And to think about sitting here and seeing him watch his seventh and my entire history with the sport in some way encompassed by that is fun. But what stuck with me most was in his post-race interview. And I think this speaks to what Gigi was mentioning earlier. He says, oh yeah, as the race went on and I was improving my lines. So even as he's driving, he's trying to find better lines to make the car work better, to go faster. And then to think about, now I'm a professional musician and I live in a world where the people at the top of my field are consistent to a degree that is unimaginable to me. And to think about the consistency required at that level to deliver those wins, those championships across all of those conditions, across all of those years against all of those opponents. Well, I don't know. You can say it's just the car, but I'm not going to believe it. Tell you what, you can say it's just the car. You can have that argument with us. Just not today. You know, this is the one. This is the race I've been waiting for. So you'll you'll have to forgive me um, this moment. But I think uh, we can go back to just the racy, racy stuff because we do a bunch of awards. We do. Um, And uh, we would we would love it if you would listen to those awards. But before you do so, take a moment to um to share the medium that you're listening or watching on if it's youtube share the link if it is uh, the podcast we give you an easy shareable link in the show notes do us a favor go and share it with a couple of friends post it on your social media on your private facebook and just say i enjoy hanging out doing the dishes driving in my car or or um or doing the vacuuming whilst listening to missed apex podcast we surely would appreciate that some awards we start off positive with Thing of the weekend, Christian Pedersen, TV man, uh, host of uh, Danish TV shows of yesteryear, uh, current uh, broadcast media mogul. Uh, firstly, do you have a social media? You don't like people following you on social media. You're a, a sly private recluse. I do an Instagram account. That's but the I, one. It's like it's like a meme account, and it's not it's not me. It's <laughs> if you if you want to watch something that. Could possibly be a, but it's not <laughs> that kind of stuff. Highly so recommended. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> what I would consider, uh, I mean, it's quite obvious, obviously Lewis Hamilton, but I think it's too easy to, to give sure, him sure, the, sure. the award of his uh, thing of the weekend. So I'm going to go with something else. I think uh, actually Fettel on the podium with Hamilton today was a really nice treat for my eyes and my heart or mind or whatever you say. I, yeah. I like that. I liked it too. I liked seeing Toto Wolff, who was reserved as well about going up on the podium, saying, no, I'm going to share this very historic moment with my driver, which was very cool. Alex Jeansy Van Jean, self-declared race analyst, would-be philanthropist. If you, I know you would be. I know if you were rich. I know you would. You've got a kind heart. Uh, who was your thing of the weekend? Can I be really, really ham No. And it's the I tough. Um it's the outpouring at the end. Oh, okay. the outpouring at the end and the tribute on his visor, which is some of the best thing I've seen on television. And 
because Bono was in tears, Lewis was in tears. I, 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 I was in tears. I think so many of Lewis Hamilton's fans were in tears, and I just think it was just such an amazing thing to achieve. When all I was thinking about at the beginning of this race was how are they going to put Lewis on the podium because he's obviously not going to get to the podium. Yes. So, Oh, this is the first time he celebrated a, a championship on the podium for some time. But before he went to his interview, well, I think it is. I think it is. Mexico. He was on the podium last year. Oh, was he? All right, then. Three, ti- he's three, three times he's not been on the podium. All right, it was the first time in 12 months. Jeez, Van Jean. <laughs> busting my balls here. Uh, okay. Uh, he runs over to his pit crew, and it's straight away to his trainer and PA. Um, and they've obviously got a very close relationship, and then watching him celebrate those relationships with his team. It would be very easy for haters to say, oh, he's just a diva, he's just out for himself. I, I really, I don't get that feeling. I get the feeling it's primarily out for himself. I get the feeling he would choose him to win over Bottas, but still. I think people are stuck with the imagery of 2011 Lewis Hamilton. Mm. which was the worst Lewis Hamilton we had. Mm. He was saying things he shouldn't say. He was doing things he shouldn't be doing. He was driving poorly. And I think that has stuck with people. He is not even close to the same person Mm. as he was back in 2011. He hasn't got a music company as a manager. He hasn't got the superstar girlfriend. And he's not that person anymore. He's a mature adult now. Oh, thank goodness I wasn't on TV when I was 22. That's all I'm going to say in defence of Lewis Hamilton. Matt, two rumpets. What was your thing of the weekend? Well, this is going to feel kind of silly. Because, like, seven world championships, that's kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. 50 laps on used inners, well, that's certainly a thing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And there's so much that happened in this race. Norris fast lap last lap i mean so much happened but on social media i happened to catch a tweet from mercedes amg that just said what if we were the black racing point all along i saw that realized i wasn't intelligent enough to fully get it and then chuckled to myself in case the cool kids were watching and i i think like i think mercedes won the internet with that today Okay, fair enough. I am going to give my thing of the weekend, because I don't think I've ever done it before, just to Ferrari as a whole, as a team, as an organization. I think they really went and smashed it today. Um, Obviously, the power deficit meant less today, but um, seeing a competitive... No Huh? Say again? No Binotto. Was Binotto not there? No. Right. Okay. Well, let's start putting two and two (laughs) together, trumpets. I think, where we go. Remember, trumpets, causation equals correlation, as far as I can recall. I think that's the phrase. Uh, it's something like that. But yeah. entertainingly enough, before the race, O'Clerk said, I hope it's wet because we think we found something. And if it's wet, we'll know for sure. <laughs> that's good. Let's, um, we've enjoyed Ferrari being at the back for long enough. Uh, let's see a competitive Ferrari back up at the front of the track. We've got a couple of awards. We've got a negative one. Oh, no, you missed the apex. We can be super negative here, guys. Don't worry about the fact that, you know, I'm just some mic jockey and, you know, just some camera dude, Christian, and just uh, whatever Alex does for a a living, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's a mystery. Uh, Or some trumpet player. Here we can criticise those at the very top of their game. Christian Pedersen, uh, who missed the apex for you? 
It, I mean, it's uh, it hurts me saying it, but I think uh, we're gonna watch that uh, replay of the six Bota spins for quite a few days. And uh, <sighs> yes, it, I know. Just, uh, I think that's actually an unbalance in uh, a healthy Mercedes environment that is not good for anyone. Uh, not even for uh, not for the team, not for Hamilton, mm. not for Bottas especially. But uh, that shouldn't be a thing. And he still stood there while they were taking the photos with Lewis, with his dog next to him. Mm. Um, still stood yeah. there with a cap on, with his thumb up. <sighs> um, exactly. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bottas should have been there with a leash. I, I think no, no, don't do that, don't do that. That's, no, 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 no. <laughs> Look, but I think Bottas was spared the podium today because it was all about Hamilton. And I, I did tend to feel sorry for for Rosberg in 2014, 2015 because he had so many podiums that were miserable he had miserable podiums where you're meant to celebrate on the podium but actually your failure is just on display to everyone and you're meant to pretend to be happy Bottas has had his fair share of those today I was pleased he was he was spared that um Alex Van Jean who missed the apex for you Red Bull their drivers yeah drivers let's be clear their drivers both had a chance of winning both had a chance of at least a podium Red Bull had a chance at a one-two, and they were fifth and sixth, mm. sixth and seventh, or something. That's not good enough for Red Bull. Trumpets. Who missed the apex for you, sir? Well, I, I hate to go back to it because I do try to show forgiveness. Okay, I'm kidding. I mean, Alfa Romeo has with the pit stop, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to say the FIA. Mm. I'm going to say these safety issues are bothering me. They're bothering me a lot. And I think even under the circumstances, extenuating though they may be, they need to get on top of it before something bad happens. Uh, I wanted to add this earlier. The 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 thing in, uh, was it in Portimao, the, the restart, uh, we had some incidents in Imola. We had the truck on track uh, this weekend. There's There's been a little bit too many of those incidents this year for mm-hmm. yeah, for, for race control to be... I know you're talking about... Are you talking about FIA as an organization? I, I or think you're race about control. The, I think race control. Yeah. Uh, and I mean... It's when when you have so much ramping up, you have to you have to decide what to do with it. And the way they decided to do with it today was Marcy just going, "No, it was fine. I trust everyone. Blah blah. Move on." And I'm not sure that's the approach. All right, cool. Uh, my missed apex award goes to everyone who tweeted me on Saturday who peaked far too soon, going, "See, see, with the strong thing, see." All right, I'm sure. Look, <laughs> let's go for. Trends, not spikes. He had a good spike on Saturday. Can't deny that. He had a good spike on Saturday. Not going to take that away. But please, don't use that as an indicator of an overall trend. Not yet. We're not trending that way. Uh, we've got um, two awards left. Let's be reasonably quick here. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Teeny tiny one for George Russell, who seemed to keep going on about how this isn't F1 and this isn't the thing. Rah, rah. We know. We know. It was an accident. <laughs> no one meant to make the race like that. It was just, it was a series of unfortunate events. Same for everyone. Crack on. If the next race is also like this, because the FIA deliberately decided to do that, then that would be valid. So I'm giving George Russell a minor pony for that. Van Jean. Mm, the Dutchies are going to hate me. It's Max Verstappen. Oh, gosh. He didn't blame himself. Again, this is my my biggest bugbear with Max Verstappen. He doesn't 
blame himself for anything. Even when he was going off at the last corner, oh, the car won't do what... I-. You've been driving it for long enough. You still make it around most of those yeah. corners. And, he's, and he blamed everybody else but himself for all these things. And it drives me nuts. Just get out of your own head. Do the thing you're good at the thing you are one mm. of the best at, which is driving that Formula One car, and you will eventually decimate all. Just stop. Just take a moment to sit back and go, okay, where can I improve? And then he'll be unstoppable eventually, but he needs to stop whinging. It's doing my head in. Do this, Kimo Verstappen, and your enemy shall fall there for you. It reminded me of the old dad joke, of, Doctor, Doctor, my arm hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, well, stop doing this. And he said, the, the car won't, turn when i drive this speed into the corner yeah okay good then then that is too fast for the corner because cease doing that listen to me as if i'm a big fancy f1 driver and i know what i'm talking about mr trumpets one award left for which you have three minutes and four candidates only comment of the week van jean says he has two van jean you can have one matt you can have four go do I not uh, get to say that Stroll is my pony first? Oh, leave him alone. He thought he was going to win, and then he didn't. Oh, I'll go first then. Okay. Um, I, I have to. I'm going to have to because it's the same person. Both of them was Lydia Cruz. Um, Alpha Turi was a bit more beta Turi this weekend. <laughs> and has anyone tried pickling or salting the tyres for preservation yet? <laughs> I, I haven't heard the beta Turi joke at, at all yet. That That's an original as far as... How has no one else made that? Someone must have done. Um, Matt, who are your three or four candidates? You now have two minutes. Right. Uh, first up, I do have to thank EJ, mm. formerly known as iHammer, for donating money for our beers for the panel to celebrate Hamilton's seventh title. Thank I shall you. pass that on. Um, and then he's right up with the Turk Grumpets instead of Trumpets. Mm-mm. You don't, No puns? No, not like it. <laughs> Well, then you're not going to like um, Christopher Fonseca yeah. in with Hammers's Ham Forksy about your corncob punishment. Guys, you know, you know puns infuriate me because I don't get them. <laughs> and I'm going to ignore him saying I thought pounding laps was dollaring laps in the U.S. Fair. SJ, I'm sure Max put it into reverse in the second phase of the start. Um, low stealth after careful analysis, I have concluded that Botas can't drive in rain that isn't frozen. Right, we need to stop this myth every single time. Oh, this is going to suit Finnish people and rally drivers. No, it doesn't. It's completely different. Mark Greenhow is in on the fun with Botas, really didn't deal with the water as well as his name might suggest. Botas, only the way you say it. Am I, have I got not enough fingers or is this way more than the four that I said? Die number 36, Max saw a pink car in the rain and his PTSD kicked in <laughs> regarding his spin. <sighs> oh, I mean, they're just all funny. I don't know. You, you just one. tell me when we're out of time. We're out of time. Pick one. I, I uh, uh, It's so hard. So hard. But I think I'm going to have to go with um, low stealth. After careful analysis, I have concluded that Botas can't drive in rain that isn't frozen. Comment of the week. Thank you so much to the live chat for keeping us company. You can join them by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. There's bells, there's notifications. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like the videos. It really, really does help us. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, go find the go find the show link. Go and share that with your friends. Please go and follow uh, my panel. Um, well, Christian Pedersen doesn't really want to follow you and his Instagram 
seems rude. So we're just going to move on. Alex Van Jean. Search for Alex V-A-N-G-E-E-N on YouTube or Twitter and you'll find his stuff. Does Christian want a shot at plugging his Instagram? It's uh, Can I plug something else? Sure. It's just a congratulation because this weekend, uh, two Danish drivers, Nicky Tim and Marcus Sørensen, secured the FIA GGE Endurance Championship. So I just wanted to say muchos gracias, guys. That doesn't that sound exciting. very Danish. Surely it's something muchos like... Muchos gracias, that's Danish, right? Tak. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it means mangatak, which mangatak, translates yeah. to thank you. Of course, in Danish, uh, the words lose their meaning unless you take magic mushrooms and attack the person you're talking to with an axe. But we get the gist. Trumpets. To me, magnatak is what I glued my tires on with when I ran tubulars in races back in the 90s. Follow my friend Matt Trumpets at MattPT55 and his wife at A Weaver Writes. If you buy her books, uh, Matt may benefit in the form of Ferraris and or food. Uh, please follow the show at Mr. Apex F1. I've been your host, Richard Spanners Ready, on Twitter at Spanners Ready. And also you can find me on Facebook by searching for Richard Ready. Please consider supporting the show, patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. Until next time, work hard. Be kind and have fun. This was Mist Apex. Four wins, 94. Debut season, four wins. Most wins in a season without winning the championship, 10. Most wins with same team, most wins... At the same Grand Prix, most wins at home Grand Prix, wins at different circuits, pole position, wins at most different Grand Prix, most consecutive seasons with a win from debut season, most wins in a calendar month, pole position, pole positions in debut, most pole positions, pole positions in most different Grand Prix, pole positions at most different circuits, most pole positions at the same Grand Prix, most consecutive seasons with a pole, most points in a debut, most points in a season, most points in a season without winning, most career points, the championship. Most finishes, races finished in the points, most consecutive points finishes, most podium finishes. I probably should have practiced this a bit more. Most consecutive <laughs> podium finishes from debut, most podium finishes in a season, most consecutive race starts, most front row starts, most races with a single engine manufacturer, youngest driver to lead the world championship, longest time between first and last world championship wins. Most races led, most races led from start to finish, most consecutive races with at least one lap in the lead, longest distance led, most consecutive race finishes, most consecutive race classifications, most grand slams in a season. I hope Wikipedia isn't wrong. That is Lewis Hamilton's career. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.